Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's begin reading with verse number 1. Many of you know this verse. I'm going to read it this time through, through the, the Living Bible. The Living Bible. A little different twist on it, but you know this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's read the first seven verses. It says, If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them, and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what is going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do it? Would it do? If I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people, And if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel, but didn't love others, it would be of no value, whatever. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. Y'all got in that fight this morning? On the way over here to church house, that wasn't love. You fight mad and half mad coming in the parking lot, frustrated with one another. You men waiting on her to finish up and she rushes out and she's blowing. And you, y'all are, y'all are, you can feel the tension in the car on the way over here. And then as soon as you hit that door, hello, God bless you. Jesus is Lord. God is good. Isn't that the way we do it? That's the way we do it. Verse verse number four, love is patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Verse 7, if you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. Then verse number 13. Skip down to verse 13. It says this. There are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. A mother made an appointment to see me several years back. She, uh, she and her husband were wonderful Christians, faithful church members, successful in business, and had a great marriage. They were just class people. I had no idea why she wanted to see me, but, but on the day of the appointment, she arrived, walked into my office, sat down, and I, we explained exchange pleasantries, greetings, how's it going, you know, you're doing good, how's your kid and all that. 
And I said, now why are you here? And as soon as I said that, she began to weep. As she told me how her nine-year-old son had developed a tormenting fear of the dark. She really couldn't pinpoint when it started, but it happened within the last six months from our meeting. It had become so bad that he wouldn't stay at nine, he would not stay in his bed at night, and he would experience disabling panic attacks as soon as the sun began to go down every afternoon. He wouldn't go outside at night or even walk into a dark room in their house. The situation after six months of this was beginning to cause tension in their marriage between the husband and the wife. They had talked to their son over and over. They had threatened. They had disciplined. They'd even tried to motivate him with gifts if he would stop being afraid of the dark. But nothing seemed to work. Finally, in desperation, the mother comes to see me. And I listened carefully and remembered just a few years earlier how we experienced the same thing with our son. Our son was a little younger than nine when he was introduced to fear. My studies and personal experience and also all the couples I've worked with over the years have taught me something, and that's this. Fear is a learned response. Did you hear me? Fear is a learned response. It comes by learning it. You are introduced to fear. Fear is a learned response. When our son was a little bitty guy, he never walked. He ran everywhere. He ran everywhere. In our little house, we had one hallway with some rooms down the side. That hallway spanned the whole length of the house. And his bedroom was the only room that wasn't on the side of the hallways. His bedroom was at the end of the house. So his hallway emptied right, the hallway emptied right into his bedroom. We'd be sitting in our other little den on the other end of the house, and he would run down that hallway as fast as he could to get a car or ball or something out of his bedroom. At night, when the lights were off in the hallway and in his bedroom, it didn't matter. He didn't think nothing about it. If he wanted something out of his bedroom, a car or a ball or something, and he thought about it, he just took off and ran down there in the dark and into the hallway, never turned the lights on, and he went out and got what he needed. He never hesitated about going outside in the dark to play. In fact, we had to drag him in off the swing set in the summer out of the backyard at nighttime. Then one night, he wanted something out of his bedroom. And we were in the den, and he asked his mom to go with him to get it. She'd been working all day. She told him where it was, but he wouldn't go. Finally, he said, finally, Amanda said, go get it. I'm not going with you. You know where it is. He then said something that shocked us. Never will forget it. Just a little thought. He said, I don't want to go back there. And I, I said, why don't you want to go back there? He says, it's dark and the boogeyman will get me. That got my attention. I said, there ain't no such thing as a boogeyman. We don't believe in the boogeyman. He said, uh-huh. He said, uh-huh. Then he told us what happened. A caregiver had kept him while we were gone a few days, a couple of weeks early, and told him that the boogeyman stays in the dark. 
I eventually discovered the caregiver was tired of playing with him, which was understandable because he had a motor that never turned off. And instead of telling him she was tired, she told him they couldn't go outside because of the boogeyman. Now this might be a shock to some of you here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County. I'm going to tell you something. There ain't no such thing as a boogeyman. And there ain't no Santa Claus. All right? I know. I'm, I'm, I, I got to be truthful to you. There ain't no boogeyman. There's no boogeyman. Listen to me. Fear was introduced to our son as a motivation to control his actions. Fear was introduced to our son as a motivation to control his actions. Fear used in a wrong way is an unhealthy motivational tool. Fear used in a wrong way. Now, fear can be a very positive, healthy motivational tool. You get out there in Memorial, you go out there and play in Memorial Avenue, you will probably get run over. And I don't. And if you're fearful of that, that's probably motivational. If you drive your car off a cliff, you will probably get a bump on your head. The fear of that is a proper motivational tool. But many times, fear is an unhealthy motivational tool. So for the next several weeks, we wrestled and fought with the boogeyman every night. We found, I found an old stuffed animal, and we called it the boogeyman, and we beat it. We threw it down, we stomped it, we shook it, we left it outside one night in the cold and the dark. I did everything in the world to show my son that there was no such thing as the boogeyman and the boogeyman was dead, but it just didn't seem to work. Finally, one day as I was praying for my son, the scripture that I had read multiple times came into my memories, but this time it came with revelation. Here it is, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 18 reads like this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The NIV, New International Version says this, love drives out fear. The New Living Translation says, love expels all fear. The New King James Version says, love casts out all fear. Listen, saints, the force that overcomes fear is love. Not discipline, not threats, not shame, not even gifts but love. So for the next few days, each time our son expressed fear of the dark, we allowed love to demonstrate instead of frustration. I got up, never said a word to him, never said, come Sissies don't go back in the dark. Sissies are afraid of the dark. Girls are afraid of the dark, not little boys. I didn't, I stopped that. I stopped that. And every time he would express fear of the dark, I'd say, oh, okay, 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 let's go. Anytime in the middle of the night, he'd come 
and want to get in our bed, instead of getting mad at him, I'd say, Amanda, take him back and put him in the bed with <laughs> We expressed love instead of frustration. Within a few days, our son was again, once again playing outside at night and acting if there was no more boogeyman. And as I sat there and listened to this mother share the pain she and her husband were going through, I relayed our story to her. She told me, she said, Pastor, you may need to talk to my husband because he's at the point now of just throwing up his hands and start to whip our child, punish our child. And I understood exactly where he was coming from. Three weeks passed, I didn't hear anything from him. It was a Sunday morning, three weeks later, and all of a sudden after the service, this young, beautiful couple comes up to me. I saw them, they were waiting on me. When I finished praying for other people, I figured they were there for prayer, but instead they had smiles on their faces. She said, Pastor, I have to tell you what happened. I said, okay. She began to relay this story to me. After I met with you, Pastor, we talked about our plan of attack against the boogeyman. We were very kind and supportive of our son, though it seemed like things were not getting better for a couple of weeks. But then last Monday afternoon, when I picked up our son from school, we went and purchased his dad a pocket knife. He had been saving his money for several months to get his dad a knife. The occasion was his dad's birthday and we were having a family surprise party on Monday night. We arrived home, rushed in, set up the balloons and got the decorations out and his dad knew nothing about it. Finally, dad came home and we were there and we surprised him and sang happy birthday. Then we brought out the gifts and suddenly my son realized he had left his gift the pocket knife in the car which was outside in the dark in the driveway. Once our son realized his gift was in the car, he had forgotten it. He didn't think a thing about it. He jumped up, ran out the front door into the dark, down the driveway into the dark, got into the dark car, found the gift, ran back smiling from ear to ear with that pocket knife and gave it to his dad. Suddenly the spirit of fear was broken over their son because the love for their dad cast out fear. They used that moment to teach their nine-year-old son to overcome fear with love. Listen, saints. Love is not a feeling. Love is a force. Love is a force. Love is not just a feeling. Love is a force. Love is not just a feeling. Same thing happened. Two years ago, I had a a growth came up on the side of my head. I was getting ready one morning to come to work and I was combing my hair and all of a sudden I felt this growth on the side of my head. I said, that ain't right. I had Amanda look at it. She said, that don't look right. It's never good when you got a horn sticking out your side of your head. Especially when you're a pastor. Horns, pastors don't go good together. And she said, what is that? Is that a bump? Is that a irritated bump? I said, no. It, I mean, it was, a, it was bad. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. So we just kept an eye on it. Next, and then all of a sudden it started, you could see your hair pop out. Now that's when it gets bad, when your hair starts popping out. Some of you don't understand about this hair popping out. But, but 
And she said, boy, you need to get that checked. I said, I don't know who to go get it. We don't have a doctor here in town. We, you know. So I made some phone calls, and I got in to see a doctor who was um, a plastic surgeon from the neck up. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So I, so, so I went to see him, and he said, he, he, he looked at it. And, uh, I mean, I went and got in right away, and, and he looked at it. He said, oh, oh, you know, you know how they, oh, and he, some kind of name. We need to get that out. We need to get that out. That could be, that could be dangerous. That could be dangerous. He said, uh, we'll get that out. This was on Thursday. He said, you come back in on Tuesday. I said, what do you mean get that out? He said, well, we'll do a surgical procedure. I said, do I have to go to the hospital? He said, no. He said, we'll do it, we'll do it here at my office, but that's got to come out. That could turn into something really bad. And uh, he said, I've seen these my whole practice. And uh, he did the names, so told me the names. So we went back and Googled it and all that kind of stuff, and realized that it's precancerous. And if it's not taken care of, it could turn into something really bad. So we went in to, to do it, planned it for Tuesday. This was on Thursday, went to Tuesday. Well, on Saturday, as I was getting ready, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said to me, you never asked me to heal that on your head. And it stunned me. I thought, well, that ain't right, that ain't right, that ain't right. And then I realized, you know what? I noticed that. It so shocked us. We never prayed about it. Our first reactions, let's run to the doctor. There's nothing wrong with that. We thank God for doctors. But that was our first reaction. And I believe in divine healing. But my first reaction was run to the doctor. And I did, and the doctor found the problem was going to take care of it. And I thank God for that. But the Spirit of God said to me on Saturday morning, you never, you never asked me to heal that. So the first thing I did right there, right in front of my mirror, I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're exactly right. After I told him he was wrong, I had to go back and say, you're right. You're right. I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. And I put my hand right there and I said, I asked you to heal it in the name of Jesus. Body, you get well. Not you go down, you disappear, dry up, die in Jesus' name. Sunday, I was getting ready to come to church and I reached, I did my hair, I'd become very conscious of it now and, I, and it wasn't sore. Monday, when I got ready to come to work, you could barely see it. Tuesday morning, it was completely gone. So Tuesday, we went to the doctor. He was going to cut. I walk in there. They put me in the room. And next thing I know, here comes a nurse with this big tray and all these scaffolds. On these sterilized cloths. She said, the doctor will be in here in just a second. I said, what's that? She said, this is what we're going to use to cut that out. I said, okay. And then all of a sudden, the doctor comes in. He's got his scrubs on. He's got his mask up to here. He said, you ready? I said, uh, yeah, I'm ready. He said, well, just lay back. I said, you might want to check that first. He said, what for? I said, well, it's not there. He said, where did it go? I said, I said, the Lord healed it. And he looked at me and he grabbed my head and he started... You know how they mess up your hair? You know, 
And then he thought, he said, well, maybe this is the wrong side. And he went over here on the other side. He looked at his chart. He looked at his, they had taken pictures of it. He looked at it and, and he said, what happened? And he looked, he said, what when you were here? I said, he said, you've not been taking any medicine. I said, no medicine. He said, what happened? What happened? I said, well, the, I told him exactly what I told you. And I said, the Lord healed me. He's a believer. I found out then he was believing. He said, you know, I've never seen anyone healed in all my practice. But I believe God. He said, let's watch it for another week. I said, okay. So he called, made an appointment. We went back another week, still healed. And we're sitting there and he said, I just have never seen this. He called in name. I've never seen this healed without surgery. He said, now what do you do? I told him I was a pastor. He said, can I talk to you about my son? I said, sure. I said, what's the problem? He said, he's scared of the dark. And I began to relay to him the story that Amanda and I went through. And then three months later, he, him and his family show up out here for our Easter egg hunt. And I see him. And he said, this is my son that we talked about. And I met him. And then his son went off to play. And I said, how's he doing? He said, we started loving him instead of threatening him. And the fear is gone. The fear is gone. Fear, fear, love cast out fear. Love is not just a feeling. It's a force. It's such a force. The Bible says in John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only and one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse number 13 says this, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says this, But God demonstrates His love for us in this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 24, uh, verse 4 and 5 says this, But because of His great love for us, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Why? Because of His love for us. Romans chapter 8, verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37 says this, Knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God's love for us is so powerful, it delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. God's love is so powerful, it caused the Creator of heaven and earth to give His only Son to die on the cross for you and I. God's love is so powerful that there's nothing on earth, there's nothing underneath the earth, and there's nothing above the earth. There's no situation you're going through now, there's no situation you've ever gone through, and there's no situation you'll ever go through that will be able to separate you from the love of God. Feelings come and go, but love is more than a feeling, it's a force. We live in a world in which people and celebrities fall in and out of love continually. So what kind of love is this talking about? What kind of love are we talking about? We talk about loving our cars, loving our animals, loving our clothes, loving a football team, loving our children. Is this the same type of love that the Bible is talking about? Do you know the Bible talks mainly about four types of love? Two of them are mentioned, two of them are referred to. The first type of love, and the one we often hear about in the world all the time, is the love eros. Eros. Eros is a love felt particularly in your body. It consists of trembling excitement, elation, joy, and underpinned by romantic urges with physical expression. Eros is when you're 16 and you see that beautiful blonde standing at the end of the bus ramp and you say, Whoa, Daddy! But eros is a self-centered love that needs good feelings to sustain it. Even secular counselors understand this type of love alone will not sustain a long-term relationship because its fuel for life is found in self-gratification, pleasing oneself. Well, he just doesn't excite me anymore. She doesn't turn me on anymore. I don't love her anymore. I'm out of love with her. I'm out of love with him. That's an Eros type of love. It's a self-pleasing, self-centered love. Listen, there's nothing wrong with Eros because Eros love is most keenly expressed in the sexual intimacy, sacred sexual intimacy of a husband and a wife. When a husband and wife come together, it's as if the Holy Spirit combines agape love, which is God's love, Phileo love, which is affection and friendship, and eros love, which is romantic love, into one. The results becomes a relationship that can enjoy, that can enjoy fulfillment in all the seasons of life. So that's eros love. It's not mentioned in the Bible. And then the second type of love is phileo. Phileo love. If eros is the love of the body, phileo is the love of the soul. It's an easy love because it's based on affection. And it's bent toward natural taste and tendencies. Phileo love embodies cultures and beliefs. It's about people like you with the same interests, social graces and styles. You know, you have friends. You're just buddies with them. It's not hard to love them. It's not hard to appreciate them. It's not hard to hang around them and want to hang around them. It's often referred to as deep and abiding friendship. That's not a shallow love because it's often rich in emotions and feelings as when your heart embraces and beams with affection towards someone you love that does something wonderful. Look at John chapter 2, 21. Look at John chapter 21. John chapter 21. 
Look at verse number 15. John chapter 21. We see this phileo love in John chapter 21. Notice what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This word love that Jesus says, he said, do you love me? Jesus is using the word agape love, which I'll talk to you about in just a second. Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses the word phileo. Jesus says, do you love me the way I love you? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, I love you as a friend. I love you as a friend. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me the way I love you with agape love? Verse 16, he answered, yes, Lord, you know I'm your friend. I love you as a friend. Verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, then Jesus changed the word. Are you my friend? Do you love me like a friend? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you like a friend. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So we've got body love, romantic love. We've got phileo, friendship. And then there's a third type of love. It's called storge. 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 Storge is the Greek word for love that is also referred to as a family love. It is very strong love of family and community. It is usually stable and secure and often seen exhibited in committed and dedicated dedication of siblings and parents toward their children. It is different than Eros because it, ne- it doesn't need romance or physical stimulation. It's different than Phileo because it doesn't need similar interest or affection to survive. It's, it's mentioned in the Bible too. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 9. Romans chapter 12 verse number 9. Romans 12, 9 and 10 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in love. That's storge. Honor one another above yourselves. It's, a, it's, it's, it's part of being a family. And then the final love is the God love. It's agape love. It's the divine love. Perfect and pure. It is the love God has for us. Agape love goes way beyond feelings and emotions. Agape love is about actions, not about feelings. It's impossible to fall out of agape love. Agape love is a force. It's not a feeling. Agape love is not self-centered. In fact, it places others above itself. It is very sacrificial. It's the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Notice what it says. Love is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves and perseveres. That's what agape love is. So there's agape love, the God love. There's phileo love, the friendship love. There's the storegate love, the love between family. And then there's eros love, which is physical 
And the one that God loves us with is the agape. He never gets angry at us. He might be dislike what we do, but He never gets angry at us. He always forgives. Long-suffering. Takes no account of wrongs. He is patient. He is kind. That's the kind of love that God has toward you. That's the kind of love God has toward me. Love is a force. It's not a feeling. We've already found out that love casts out fear. But I'm going to tell you something else. Love will cover the God of God kind of love that He has toward you. It covers your sins. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. God's talking to the church. He says, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. The word cover means to hide. It means to conceal. So no trace can ever be seen. Love not only casts out something, it covers up something. It hides something. People come to me all the time and they say, Pastor... I did this. I don't know if you're going to respect me. I don't know if you're going to want me. I, don't, I did this. This is my history. Listen, love hides that. It conceals that. Never will forget, I was preaching years ago in a, in a service. And, and one day we didn't have but 30 or 40 people in our little church when we first started out. And all of a sudden, I know he'd been there about six months, and all of a sudden... A new guy came, a, a visitor. We didn't have that many visitors. We didn't have no money for advertising. We was in a bad part of town. And all of a sudden, a visitor showed up. He was a young man. And so when you only have 20 or 30 and somebody new shows up, they kind of stand out. We'd already had our little worship, and I'd started to preach, and he walked in. He sat down, and he listened. And I thought, well, I need to meet him after service. So we got to the end of the message. I started to pray the benediction. And I looked up and he was gone. And I asked Amanda, I said, did you see that guy? She said, no. She sits up the front. And he sat toward the back. I said, well, he showed up and then he left. She said, was he an angel? I don't think he was. So I said, I never did get his name. I said, did anybody get his name? No. Next Sunday, I'm right getting ready. To, I stand up to preach. And there he is again. I say, he's back. So I preach and I dismiss and I look up and he's gone. I said, man, did you see him? She said, no, I didn't see him. I said, man, start sitting in the back. <laughs> I asked people, I said, did you see him? No. Did anybody get his name? No. I thought, man, this is strange. So the third Sunday, I get up to preach and look out and there he is. I already thought, if he shows up again, I got a plan. So toward the end of my message, I already told one of the deacons, now when I get to this point, I want you to come forward. And by the time I get to the back, that's, I'm going to talk until I get to the back. And then I'm going to ask you from the back to dismiss. And I'm going to catch that rascal when he goes out the door. <laughs> and sure enough, he came up. I started walking to the back like an illustration point. And I said, now so-and-so, and called him on, is going to dismiss us. And he started to pray. And when he started to pray, here comes that fella. 
and I grab him. And I said, ask him his name. He told me. I said, I'd love to get with you. You've been here three Sundays in a row. I never will forget what he said. Are you sure you want to be seen with me? And I said, well, why wouldn't I want to be? He said, well, just to be honest with you, I committed adultery, left my wife. and I'm a dentist in town. A lot of people know me. And the church I was grown up in, they don't want to have nothing to do with me. They're ashamed of me. So are you sure you want to be seen with me? Let me tell you something. Love covers, hides, conceals a multitude of sins. It doesn't give permission. It just covers it up. It causes you not to deal with them the rest of their life because of their past actions. Now here's something else and I'll close with this. God's love has been put in every one of us. You say, well, I can't love like that. Well, yes, you can. Well, I can't love like that. Well, if you can't, you're not a Christian. Because the love of God has been put in every one of us. A patient, kind, forgiving, long-suffering love is in every one of you. But it's not a feeling. Well, I don't feel it. It has nothing to do with feelings. It's a force. It's an action, not a feeling. Look with me real quickly at Romans chapter 5, verse number 5. Romans chapter 5, verse number 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into your heart. You say, I can't put up with this person at work. I cannot put up with them one more day. I will not put up with them. Listen, you can because the love of God has been put in your heart. And it's not a feeling, it's a force. That doesn't mean you have to go along with everything they say. It doesn't mean you have to approve everything they do. But it does mean I'm going to love them even when they get on my last nerve. Why? Because the love of God always believes, always trusts, always hopes, and that love is on the inside of you. Well, I don't feel it. It has nothing to do with feelings. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. You do it. Stand with me, would you? Now, and here's the wonderful thing. You are loved by God like that. I know some of you come here every Sunday morning and you've got past hanging over your head. You have history that's right back here haunting you. But I want you to know God loves you. And He hides and conceals your history. He don't even think about it. He don't deal with it. He loves you so much He has drawn you to Himself. You are loved. It's a love that you cannot get away from. It's a love that is the most powerful force in all the earth. And it's in you and it's been given toward you from God. You are loved. Don't you ever leave here thinking, I'm nobody, I'm not good enough. Let me tell you, you've been loved by the creator of heaven and earth. 
He loved you so much, He sent His most precious gift, His only Son, to die for us. We are chosen. We are special. We are precious to Him. We are loved. We are loved. And He's never going to stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to cause Him to stop loving you. There's nothing nobody else can do, can say to you, to make you stop lo- Him stop loving you. You are loved. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.